Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, welcome to Brain Food Live on Air. It's episode 179, bringing it to you employer branding during recession times. Isn't it an appropriate uh, show to do? Um, listen, folks, you might have noticed it's kind of all changed because I'm, I'm currently sitting in my kitchen um, and it's because I've got a, a bunch of uh, painters and decorators in and uh, they're actually doing some work over, over here. So we might well hear them uh, sort of as we go through. So I hope everything that, uh, so, so I hope that's going to be okay. Um, and indeed, we're having technical issues everywhere else as well. Um, as Adam is here, um, and I believe he might be having some problems getting uh, on screen also. But let's see what happens. Uh, he's invited and he's going to join shortly, in which case we're going to be figuring out whether we can hear him okay or not. Um, so, Wait, Adam, I don't know. Can you hear me again? Oh, good Lord. Wait, yeah, can you hear yes, we can. Um, I can hear you. Yeah, can you hear? Can you hear? No. All right. So we have this kind of disastrous scenario, but you know what? It's live streaming, folks, and you can expect disasters, can't you? Uh, anyway, let's just test whether everyone can hear me okay, uh, because that's actually more important. <laughs> and I don't mean to denigrate Adam here, um, but can you give me some indication on uh, Crowdcast whether the audio is fine? Um, please do let me know whether you can hear me and see me okay. Um, we should be live streaming this. Um, I hope, um, somewhere on LinkedIn. Um, is this going out? Um, why are we offline? Christ, nothing's happening properly here. Um, that's so annoying. Um, okay, so nothing is really, nothing, nothing is happening according to plan. Um, but let me just quickly do some uh, quick uh, customizations here and we'll get it kind of uh, sorted for you. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me, folks. I think LinkedIn is waiting for us to come on stream. Um, let me just copy this. First time ever, we're going to try and launch it whilst we're on air somewhere else. Um, let's save that. That should work. Um, and something should be happening, I think. Let's go. Um, broadcasting away. All right, listen. Um, it seems to be working on, on Crowdcast, so we're just going to have to crack on as best we can. I do beg your pardon, everyone, uh, uh, that should have been watching this elsewhere. Um, but we're having, like, major, major issues technically today. Um, Adam, one last try. Can you hear me okay, or uh, can you contribute at all? Um, what's the audio like? Can't hear you, man. Um, that's going to be disastrous. Okay, uh, fiddle with it. We might have to bring you back. We're going to drop in the guests straight away, and then we'll have sort of them on air. Hopefully, they'll be able to speak, and we can kind of get on with the show. Um, so have a fiddle with it. It's probably something in system settings, I would imagine, um, that's causing uh, sort of that to do what it's doing. Um, so give that a shot and let me know sort of how that operates. Uh, let's save on there. Why does that not? power through we should do um okay claire i'm gonna bring you on boom uh let's do this here hey the important thing folks is not to panic um all right there's like three claires that's brilliant um okay one, one of these claires is coming on i hope it's the right claire uh let's bring paul on as well Paul bangu there he is boom i think susan's definitely here so let's see if we can bring susan on as well hey Oh, there she is. How are you doing, Claire? I'm all good today. Yeah, it's been a mad old week, but yeah, I feel like yeah. I've been 
I've been stretched this week. Been stretched, been, lots of things to do. It's been busy, busy. It's been chaotic week, hasn't it? It's been chaotic today. <laughs> um, uh, you know, never mind just uh, outside. Um, but here we have, oh, we have Paul as well. Great to see you, Paul. Um, and hopefully uh, Susan will be joining us shortly, in which case um, we're going to be able to, uh, oh, there she is, there's Susan as well. Um, let's do some quick introductions. Um, I think all of us have been on the show before, maybe Paul for the first time, but Claire and Susan, definitely not. But let's do some intros. So Claire, can you introduce yourself firstly? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Um, I'm Claire Bush. I'm VP of Marketing for Adway. Um, we're a social media automated recruitment marketing platform. Um, and I head up all of the marketing and yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Great stuff. And actually, Adway is sponsoring today's show, folks. So do make sure you check Adway out. Uh, Claire, as you're on as you're on screen anyway, would you like to say a few more words about Adway? Like, why should people care about uh, this particular product? Yeah, so I've, I've been doing quite a lot of work, actually, over uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, we're quite new. We're a Swedish business. We've been around since sort of 2018. Um, we're operating in both the TA space and also the recruitment agency space supporting talent attraction so if you imagine that we have got a world where we're thinking about increased connectivity increasing diversity of applications and also that reach that real sort of hard to find talent adway is that platform it enables you to reach the total addressable talent marketplace you're going in over social channels but much more than the programmatic or just even job posting we're actually enabling you to tell your stories through campaigns so it's a much more smarter way, simpler way, a more effective way to reach talent. So that's there, there we go. And actually really interesting to see more like interesting recruiting tech coming out of uh, the Nordics, particularly Sweden, actually. There's, there's a lot of interesting things bubbling away up there. So worth keeping an eye on. Um, okay, cool. Uh, let's, uh, let's say hello to Paul. Paul, good to see you. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I uh, uh, hope you can hear me. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you great. Uh, yeah, I, I work at BT. I kind of work in our employee and branding talent attraction space in a in a very very complex matrix business that hires everything from folks working in our retail and contact centres all the way through to people working in our accounting departments and corporate functions. It's a it's a, a huge tangent of skills that we kind of work across. And they kind of up and down in demand as we go through every week. So it's um, it's complicated. I was I had yeah. black hair when I joined <laughs> it two years ago. You're a very mature, like salt and pepper thing going on. Yeah, here, well, so, I, thanks you know. to BT, I've got that. I've got that look down to a fine art. Before that, I looked young and like you know. Gen Z. <laughs> You're still looking terrific, as I'm sure the crowd would agree. Um, okay, let's move on to Susan. Susan, uh, uh, good to see you. Uh, who are you and what it is you do? Hi, everyone. I'm Susan Lamad. I'm the founder and CEO of Exacquio. We are an employer brand and experience consulting firm. And ultimately, our job with our clients is to transform the employment relationships that they have um, with candidates and employees through insight, research, brand, and the candidate and employee experience. Fantastic. And you've been doing the EB side of things for a long while now, haven't you, Susan? So you've seen um, you've seen the um, the environment change. Um, and, and that's probably where I want to get started on, really, because 
my conception of employer branding is that it sort of emerged as a concept distinct from recruitment marketing, distinct from talent acquisition um, around maybe 10, 15 years or so ago, just as we were starting to get this kind of like economic boom period where essentially it was all about growth. The big drivers behind EB was about talent, competition, competition for, you know, how do we recruit all these people, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it seems that we're now heading towards a slightly different sort of scenario where maybe for the first time we might be looking down, you know, economic contraction, mm -hmm. significant recession. In the UK, we're talking about maybe the longest recession we've ever had on record. So this kind of talk is starting to emerge. Um, and of course, we're seeing huge dramas in the tech world with, you know, dramatic uh, uh, high profile layoffs and all the rest of it going on. Um, and it seems that maybe the economic environment is changing. How does that going to change what we do in EB? So that's the topic of this conversation. Let's start with you on this, Susan. Um, what's your sense of this? I mean, has anybody put into place any sort of like dynamic way of addressing market conditions? Or have we built EB around the idea it's all going to grow and we're just going to you know, recruit against competition as opposed to a, a, an environment that we might now be seeing? So I'll give you the standard consulting answer, which is it depends. It depends on the organization and it depends on how they've set up employer brand and where employer brand sits. For those people who don't know, the standard definition of employer brand is branding and marketing the entirety of the employment experience. And so recruitment marketing is part of that, but it's just a subset. So strong strategic EB teams, even if you're an EB leader of one, you're building an employer brand to think about that entire employment life cycle. And so if you're smart right now, you're just shifting your efforts. You're shifting your content. Maybe you're doing less external content and you're doing more internal content. You're shifting your stakeholders. Maybe you're working less with recruiters and more with managers, hiring managers focused on internal mobility. So that's all part of the strategy and kind of keeping an eye on what's going to happen. If in fact we actually do enter a recession that's as bad as you know some some sources say it will be, but that's also they don't know yet either. There's so many mixed signs in the economy, and that's giving me a lot of pause too as we're talking to clients. What is the um, so? Hang on, we've got Adam back uh, here as well. Thank you, Susan, for this. Um, Adam, like, just a quick sound check. Can you hear us okay? Yes, I can. Amazing. So, so you, it only just occurred to you to switch your laptop off and switch it back on again after all that. And it worked. <laughs> dear, oh dear. It always works. Lowest hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Jesus. Uh, all right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on from this. Okay. Um, have, have, have a little bit of flavor of this, Paul. Um, sort of your experience working in house. What's the what's the the the, the sort of instruction or brief you've been getting at all from the business about? what you need to do with EB. Have you been given more or less, you know, tabula rasa, you can do it as you wish? Um, or is it a case where people are starting to, you're getting some signals, say, actually, Paul, you know, we need to be starting to say this in this in these types of conditions. Um, can you give us some, in, uh, some input there? Of course, yeah. Um, very, very, very some, of, some of the stuff that Susan mentioned is on point with us because, but, it's it's in a very very complex business like BT. Uh, there is a real skills shift in in us as an organisation. So, you know, uh, over the last couple of years, our, our demand for technology and digital skills—I say digital in the big—yeah—has um, grown immensely, and and that demand 
is not looking like it's going to go away because the digital transformation that we are experiencing as a business, and we are a budding technology firm. We've come from a telco. Uh, you know, we were a budding technology business. Um, and that demand to shift us from where we are to where we need to be, you know, is not likely to slow down. However, <laughs> we have many different areas to the business, customer-facing, retail, all of these areas, which obviously will feel the impact of a slowdown or, or a recession. And interestingly, in my conversations with the business, they don't tell me do whatever you like with employer brand. They kind of say in our space. And and, and we almost have about five or six businesses sitting in one. Um, we have parts of the business where we've already switched our focus to internal engagement, retention, productivity, all of these. So we're already there. Uh, but we're going live with a campaign as of next week, working with internal comms and a significantly big part of the business, uh, you know, about 15,000 folks, uh, where we're going to talk about engagement retention because we do realise that, you know, we, we are not that far away from the great resignation. Uh, you know that 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 hasn't completely vanished in certain areas for us. In certain areas, that's still a, a problem. So, uh, or, or problem, perhaps a challenge. And, and that way, the way we're working in different parts of the business means that we can um, we can actually get the right conversation or the right way to converse with our audiences, be they external or ex internal. We have to revisit what we were saying perhaps 18 months ago, because I think that rhetoric is changing. But we as a business have a very, very fluid employer brand. It's impacted our half year results came out yesterday. That has an immediate impact on perception and how people will react to us as a as a business they want to carry on working with or, or you know, if, if they feel that their annual bonus is at risk. Do they think that, you know, that's where they want to stay or do, do they want to move on? So all of these things kind of feed into the way we actually go out externally uh, or the way we are in some cases already looking to do the, the, the internal piece. Very much changing. Every, and every business kind of demands that internally. So I feel like I do the employer brand for about five or six mm -hmm. businesses in one. Mm -hmm. You know what, that's actually a, a, a kind of exactly the sort of example we're looking to hear from, like the dynamism of EB, right? Because you've got to be aware as to the milestones that are occurring within your business. So, for instance, the quarterly reports or, or the annual reports or whatnot, these are big news for everybody. We saw it actually just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Maybe even just a week ago where, you know, all of the big tech firms were, were announcing their quarterly uh, results. Um, they were all down against expectations. And of course, that is the dominant conversation, internal and external with the business. Everyone's perception is different. So if you're a candidate and you're hearing about a company, you know, uh, obviously the media will have its own kind of uh, task of, of creating its own narrative. But if you observe this and you, uh, that's what you're, uh, you're hearing, okay. it's going to have an impact on your perception of the company. And if you're internal to the business and you're, a compensation is going to be pegged to revenue, let's say, then of course that affects you as well. So it, it seems to me pretty simple. One of the things EB should be doing is, is pegging your review points uh, sort of at the, at the milestones 
uh, that you can that are that are locked into your, your the rhythm of your business. Uh, is that something that EB does, or is that something that you know, do, do we think about that at all? I mean, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Claire? Um, yeah, it's a big thing, isn't it? Because you've just Paul, you've just basically kind of summed up my week. I've I've just been spending a week looking at submissions for for an awards coming up, and you know what, having having to see or kind of work through all of the missions and all of the visions and then all of the creativity and for it to have that one moment in time impact. I think that's the other thing about what you do. You're kind of, you're sprinkling fairy dust constantly and trying to keep that kind of, you know, momentum alive for the business. I think also as well that, you know, if we take whatever lessons we got coming out of the recession in 2008, 2009, that was a place where we really put EB on the map and it's where so many organizations really kind of went, you know what, we need something more to tell our story. We need something more that's compelling, that's gonna grow with our business through the good times and the bad. So effectively, brand management is something that most marketeers all know of. I certainly have also been on the sort of, you know, first out, first, you know, first out in a recession looming kind of marketing space, but brand conversations are so important. They kind of almost need to have an always on and you then become that sort of driver of whether or not you're going full pelt, you know, seventh gear, or if you just roll back to sort of gear two and whatever and, and keep things ticking along. But for me, it's about how does that affect all of the communities, all of your internal business units, all of the stakeholders, not current employees withstanding, but also those that know of the business reputation outside of the business, those that may or may not be future hires or those that were hires and have since left, because they'll carry the ripple effect as well of all of that brand messaging. So yeah, I just think it's it's such a, a really, yeah, a really big and deep conversation um, but there's, for me, there's lots of questions like, you know, realistically, have you got that dashboard right now? Do you know where you can kind of dial down the big jazz hands and be more subjective to the fact that there's layoffs or there's, you know, there's parts of the marketplace that are under immense pressure to find talent? Because those different nuances as well are going to come through. I think that um, one of the things that's occurred to me in this that uh, is and I've, we've witnessed this in, in other moments that are prop, where, where there's an interrupt in the world, right? Some like thing has occurred, typically a terrible disaster. Um, and one of the things that's always kind of on my mind when that happens is, look, I hope everyone's checked their content schedule um and maybe just put a pause on that because you need to see what's actually pre-scheduled and going out and you might have no clue like you would have forgotten about it because lots of people might have pre-scheduled way in advance like six months 12 months out if they have presumed um that this would be we're going to say this you know we, we can't imagine the world is going to end up like this and they, they've just left it there and it's some sort of machine and you've seen sort of tweets come out and posts come out and you think wow, that's like just couldn't couldn't have timed it worse at this moment and it's going to be so damaging. So I wonder whether it has, has in other words, is disaster recovery, has disaster planning 
something in EB. Do we think about this in, in our mm -hmm. industry or is it all generally jazz hands? It, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say it's generally jazz hands because it attracts that type of person that wants to be the positive, wants to give the plus shine on things, the fairy dust in your term, um, Claire. Whereas if you look at people in DR, they're usually very, very different personality types. You know, they're always looking at, you know, Adam, you got you got an annoying face, uh, so I'll, I'll bring you in in a sec. But I mean, I would just as broad strokes, the cat, the personality types, I think, are different. People in disaster recovery, I think, are very much always looking at risk, you know, the 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 the, the, the situation. Um, and it's actually, I wouldn't say paranoid, but it's a it's a sort of mentality. If you cultivate too much, I think it does dampen your ability to do the the, the fairy dust. Um, you're going down two different neurological paths, I think. Um, anyway. You're going to say something, Adam? Yeah. The first thing is you can't possibly schedule your employer branding content 12 months in advance or even six months in advance. Probably about the furthest in advance you could really be going is like two or three weeks because the world changes so fast. So anything you, anything I think might be relevant in six months is definitely not going to be relevant because everything the, the world's spun so many times since then, probably in the wrong direction. So well, you're, 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 you need to be completely agile in this. I have, this is true, right? But the point, the point is people have done this. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's very it, common. Campaigns run for months mm -hmm. and months in advance of a launch date and yeah. hundreds of thousands of pounds are being spent on campaigns. Yeah. Massive, mm -hmm. all-consuming. And then there's too many news articles about one particular word which literally can throw everything out and it's all in the bin. But these things yeah. do take months to create i agree adam it would be an absolutely beautiful word world if you could just spiral it up when i don't think organizations are in that play yet they're not able well to. in that case anybody that's not needs to be get a lot more agile because you're you're anything you're post anything you're scheduling even a month in advance unless it's for events or something anything a month in advance the, the message is probably not like probably as effective as it could be if it's you know created in real time. But one, one other thing I just wanted to say about this is I'm really glad that we're talking about macro things and we're not just talking about what's it like to work at this company and career stories and the job descriptions or the job adverts, because unfortunately I still see it every single day in employer branding job descriptions is all focused on what I keep banging on about, which is the point of sale material. And that's not what most people are interested in unless they've already become attracted to working at your company, which most people have not at this no. point. We need to be building relationships with people long before we're giving them the sell or the jazz hands bit or whatever it is to get the call to action, which is to get them to apply. And I'd really love to see employer branding professionals and teams going much higher up the funnel and working out what's the best way we can use our amazing skills and tactics and things to bring people into our domain long before they're ready for a conversation, rather than just this intense focus on the application bit. But those companies that have adapted really well in the last few weeks as we've gone you know, further into the abyss are the ones where they've got the teams and the skills who can really adapt to you know, doing a much more impactful and holistic job. See, I don't think anyone's uh, adapted. My issue with this is I don't think anybody has adapted. Um, uh, like, like all the, we set up our EB teams in, in this way and we just truck on and then we encounter this externality and then we just like, it's not adapting when you're stumbling around. You know, you can't call yourself agile if, you, if you've had a lot of crap, switch off the buffer scheduler. That's not agility. That's like failure to organize. That's simply, you have, you're not set yourself up like that. So I just wonder whether like it has 
anybody set up any kind of plan that you can be deployed um, and, and it's a sensible thing to uh, sort of implement industry-wide. So for instance, let's say there is quarterly updates. Probably there should, EB should be aware of when those updates are and they should have basically two types of message plans to say, you know what, if we've, if we've knocked it out of the park, it looks like this. That's when we go with the big jazz hands. Of course, we hammer it hard. If it is that actually we've gone below target, you need to have a different message, different tonality and deploy that. I don't see many organizations playing sort of the, the if if or then yeah. type of uh, uh, scenario. They've, they've generally gone one way. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, or anybody listening to this in the crowd, like do you develop multiple plans or multiple message strategies depending on predictable moments where there's a fork in the road? So we're not talking about random black swans. We're talking about stuff that is happening um, in your, that you can predict is going to hmm. be a big deal. Yeah, well, hmm, predicting the outcomes of something that happens in our business and the impact it will have on people's perception of us as a business is sometimes very hard to to kind of put a measure on uh simple things like you know we 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 are um, we're a unionized business so we would potentially have industrial action against us uh through colleagues across the business right and to have a jazz hands campaign while there's folks outside the door holding banners up, right, is, is literally, you know, counterproductive times 10. So, you know, we have to be very agile, very, very agile. We have to sometimes manage leadership style because leaders think, yeah, yeah, that's a little bit of noise over there, but I'd rather make a lot of noise over there because that's a lot more important to us in the long term. Yeah, great. But if you have a very, very fluid employer brand like most organizations do, I think you have to respect what's happening on a daily, weekly basis and be prepared to let your personal commitments to a campaign or your excitement about what a great job you've done, or doesn't it look fantastic, aren't we great? You probably have to leave that at the door and make a very business-driven decision as to whether you are probably going to step away from that for a week or two while we you decide whether the dust has settled or not. Uh, in other cases, you have to also probably help the business step over their fear factor in certain areas where every little uh, issue sometimes is seen as um, a big bump in the road, right? And, and, and you know, in our world, there are bumps in the road every day. And if you, if you kind of turn the taps off every time you hit one, you probably wouldn't get going. So measuring that and probably using your experience to be able to guide different leadership styles around where you need to be agile and where you need to be brave, I think are, are, is probably the challenge that comes back to us. Because the one thing we forget is that our experience in this space as experts is exactly why the business hires us to guide them you know getting campaigns done is is achievable at most levels from a tactical perspective but that guidance around experience step back re readdress change change the noise change the conversation change change the way you're communicating with your talent all of that are, are hard decisions when you've spent you know, two months coming up with something you think is going to win 30 awards and you're going to be drinking champagne flutes all night. You know, hard. 
I think there's an important element to what you're talking about, but one additional thing I want to add, and that is all of this is dependent on two things. Where does EB sit in the organization and at what level of seniority? If you have an employer brand leader who is considered an executive or a director and is literally sitting at the same table with the CHRO, your ability to be agile, your ability to accomplish the things you're talking about, Paul, is much easier than if you're an individual contributor, employer brand manager, sitting in talent acquisition, hidden down and reporting seven levels up. Because number one, you won't even be aware that a riff is going to happen or a layoff's going to happen until it happens, right? You won't be part of that conversation. And then two, it's also important to know that you won't be able to influence the importance of employer brand as it relates to the intersection of PR, internal communications, and marketing. And so to be agile is a great thing, but most employer brand practitioners right now are sitting in a place where they don't have that kind of influence because mm. they were hired in through talent acquisition. And so they can't make those changes. One of the things before starting Exactio, I ran the employer brand function for Marriott. This is over a decade ago. And one of the things I lobbied really hard for was for employer brand and internal comms to be the same team. And ultimately they did that. I don't know where it sits now, um, but ultimately they did that. And that's because they are the same thing. Internal communications is just employer, it's just an extension of employer brand. So if you don't have the same people at the same table, when a decision like that is made, communication across the board isn't aligned. And then everything gets cascaded. By the time it gets to your employer brand practitioner, who is you know, scheduling content to go on your you know, career's TikTok or your career's Instagram, then yeah, of course it's going to be late. And of course it's going to be, you know, it's not going to make sense, right? So it's all about the seniority level. If your CHRO doesn't care um, about the importance of employer brand during this time, then you're going to have a really hard time driving impact. Can I just say that I, I agree so much with what Susan just said mm -hmm. that I actually even take it slightly ahead, slightly further. So I agree with EB and internal comms being together, but something that's even a bit more radical, which I think is even more effective is whoever's leading the people, you know, entire people function, that person's primary responsibility should be about employer brand and everybody, whether it's comp and bends, whether it's L&D, whether it's internal comms, whether it's recruitment or employer, whatever, they all, the number one responsibility of that person leading HR has got to be employer brand. Everything is subservient Adam, can I that. give you jazz hands for that? <laughs> Everything is subservient <laughs> to employer brand, is my opinion. I'm, yeah. I'm well, a massive advocate of that joined up thinking. And, and to, to your point as well, Susan, one of my sort of notes before we came on, one of the tactics I wrote was, find your allies in marketing and and literally I don't know, in the last 10, 15 years of my career, employer brand and consumer brand have sat in my hand. So I've been really fortunate to, to be able to kind of have a sort of view on both sides, like where am I taking the business, but also where are the people taking this business that I'm representing? So to be joining up those kind of sentiments um, oh, I think I've just <laughs> just kicked Adam out. It feels like I have. <laughs> Don't worry, I was getting tired of him anyway, so it's done. <laughs> oh, bless. But no, it's it's really important. I think that whole allies within, your point about having a voice at the table is so important. And if you can't be there because you're not at that level, then find someone within the organisation that can really 
be that that juice if you like that kind of noise coming in to help you to to really navigate um yeah the messaging so this, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Paul. Um, a very quick one. So there's a couple of things Susan mentioned I thought really important. Uh, so recognition of the seniority of the function is critical to whatever approach you might actually adopt. Um, so this might require some 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 kind of look in the mirror, hard truth type of stuff. Um, uh, you know, if, if you are there literally as an adjunct of a, of you know, of, of recruitment marketing, let's say, you're there just to, you know, pump it up. Okay, great. You recognize that's what the role is, but your ability to, to then, you know, create a dynamic strategy that's able to uh, react very, very quickly to external issues, that's going to be difficult for you to do because you're going to come to the information late. Um, so number one, where do you sit in the, uh, the where does the function sit in the hierarchy? Um, and the second point you mentioned, I thought very interesting was from a structure point of view, uh, what is this, the closest relationships that you have? Um, we just had, I think, Catriona was saying uh, there was a move in her organization of EB out of TA and into internal comms or in, into a group communication, which is both internal and external. Um, and actually, I think Catriona uh, is saying um, she initially objected to this. Presumably, you're in TA, so you didn't want to you didn't want to lose the EB folks. Um, but it might make more sense because these days what is the difference between internal and external? Um, uh, you know, oftentimes people externally are going to find stuff out uh, that the internal person does. We have internal people doing day in the life off on TikTok all the time. So they're, they're showing you what internal looks like. Um, so the boundary between where the company starts uh, stops and the market starts, that's been fading away for a long time. That's a very permeable, permeable boundary now. Um, so, so yeah, maybe it deserves to sit in comms and then people can find the information out um, at the same time. There's no reason why there's a hierarchy. Look at leaks, for instance. One of the biggest thing, problems that you have with internal, with EB actually located there is if you're not announcing things um, in a, a universal way very quickly or even at the same time, they're going to find out in some other fashion and that's going to be very tough so for instance just to use an example let's say redundancies is is a very topical uh, these days um it's very difficult for you to have a, a conversation with one group of people and saying hey listen we're going to make redundancies it's going to be these guys um and for that information not to leak right and if it leaks it drops on twitter somewhere it's on pace spin or whatnot someone picks it up guess what there's hell to pay you know, there's no plans for that. That's that's just a firestorm. You're gonna have to do something to do something really drastic. Which, by the way, is part of the reason why I think you do sometimes see what appears to be very drastic guillotine-style um, redundancy announcements because they're trying to do the universal thing um, ahead of everything else. Now, I'm not defending or supporting one thing or the other. We obviously know today um, Twitter have announced. Um, massive redundancies. That's actually affected recruiting brain food, by the way. I don't know whether you received my email on that, mm -hmm. but we're probably going to move off a review, which is owned by Twitter. We're going to try and port this this weekend. So I've got a lot of work to do to make that happen. But I think that's what we're going to try and do. But basically, I think all the review team have been made redundant. Um, so this thing is going to be zero supported going forward. Uh, and it's going to be sunsetted any anyway in about six weeks. Um, so very sudden decisions can happen, um, in which case you err towards, okay, let's get all the information out at the same time. So let's talk about that as in a particular example. 
um, handling that hard redundancy side, what does EB do in this situation where there are some layoffs that are needed to be made? Um, how do you keep the how do you balance the, the the requirement to be giving everyone the information at the same time, avoiding leaks, but also trying to do it in a humane way? Most humane ways to do it person to person, one to one conversations. Guess what? You can't scale that. Um, so how do you do it? Let's go around. Uh, thoughts on this, Susan? You want to give this a crack? Yeah, a couple things. One, I think it also it depends a lot on where you're geographically located because there are a number of laws that will impact your ability to communicate, how you communicate. In the U.S. in particular, there's laws around notifications required for layoffs or redundancies. And so a lot of organizations will be strategic. They will lay people off in a staggered approach so that they don't have they don't meet the threshold and then they don't have to communicate in advance. So number one is to be educated know what the laws are in your space, know what the potential crisis implications are and what that means for your organization. Number two is to have plans in place, literally like a plan A, B, C, D, et cetera, so that when something does happen, even if you're not senior enough to be aware of it ahead of time, you immediately have a plan that's already been approved that your manager's aware of that you can put into place. And that's things like looking at your content to see what's been scheduled that you need to change that's having communications pre-approved so that all you have to do is cut, paste, and post if you need to. And then three, have a communication train, right? So who else in the organization needs to be reminded what they can and can't say and give those um, communication points, talking points themselves. So if you're starting to do redundancies or layoffs, you should already have pre-written um, talking points for your recruiters that you can give to them so that when they're doing outreach, because you might be laying off in one function, not another, mm -hmm. they know how to answer certain questions. They know what to say. They know how to address those questions. And then last but not least, you need to pay attention to every public channel that your organization has so that you're aware of every time your CEO is communicating. So if you're getting ready to do a layoff and your CEO is going on TV, you better be listening to that. You better be sure you hear everything she or he says so you're prepared to, to support that. Those are some of the things that I would do. Uh, I hope you were making notes there. Um, some really good points by Susan. In particular, I think in order to draft um, these these plans, you, you, you've kind of got to do it when there's no risk of redundancy, mm -hmm. right? Because if you start drafting it when things, the clouds are on the horizons, then people are going to put two and two together and that's going to leak out. Um, so really it should be just a standard part of this is how we do it when we have a, a sort of making redundancies. This is a scenario we have to plan for. It's almost like someone who is going like like a like a martial artist, for instance, or anybody who's in, in combat sports. They're going into an unpredictable situation in the ring. You have to just plan for what happens. What happens if, oh, I break my wrist. Therefore, I've got to do it and fight this way. This is how you've got to do it. You can't just assume it's going to be hunky-dory all the time, even though, mm -hmm. as we've discussed before, typically EB, you're hired, you know, there's personality uh, sort of a fit, uh, and also the function is all about, you know, doing the plus-plus. Sometimes you've got to handle the minus-minus. Um, okay, any other thoughts on, on, on this? How do we do it when there's a, uh, we, we do need to make quick redundancies, there's a big chop happening. What's your thoughts on this? Let's go around. I think it's an important one to spend a bit of time on. Um, Claire, do you want to have a thought on this? Yeah, um, I was just thinking, I mean, everything that Susan just said, obviously, is so important. And I think when you've done sort of internal comms or you've kind of had that mindset of communications externally anyway, you've always got that mindset of 
reputation management. So maybe that's something that if your EB strategy right now isn't holistic and that you don't have the full scope or your mid flow of creating it, make sure you do put a, red, a reputation module in there or you kind of sit down with other stakeholders in the business and think about that reputation management for both ends. So, you know, also as well, what can be really, really awful to see is when the world's falling apart um, and then there's this one beacon of light and you want to shout from the rooftops that everything's actually really good where you are and, you know, the world is actually really sunny. But one wrong word in that message to kind of bolster and keep everybody up will basically turn everybody against you. So you've got to be really good at managing and landing where those messages are. Work with PR firms, work with um, consultants in and outside of your business to give you that kind of sentiment view. And also as well, it's probably really important to dig into any ERGs, communities that you've got within your business to understand what is the actual lived message not the message that you put out in your communications but the ones that are really being felt and if you can create some kind of feedback loop to keep that always on that then becomes your temperature check so so many brilliant employee engagement tools out there can do this day to day week to week really massively important that you've got those turned on in any time of year but especially if you're looking at you know kind of going into a dark patch Claire, yeah. can I just add one thing that you just said that I think is really important is the crisis PR piece. So my mm -hmm. husband does crisis PR. And one of the things he said to me is never talk to anyone in HR. So for anyone listening today, if you do not have a relationship with your PR team, go create one, take them to coffee, take them to lunch, hop on a call. Because I learned so much about crisis PR and how that works on that side of the business just by talking to him. Because most people don't have access to those resources from where they sit. Yeah, definitely. And it is, it's kind of almost like the dark arts of internal comms or just communications anyway. Yeah. And quite a number of firms and organizations I've worked with, it's always been at arm's reach because we don't really need it. We don't need it on all the time. But it is absolutely essential for organizations who've got reputations that are wildly sped. Any organization with, I don't know, 200, 300 people should have PR, should have some kind of um, comm strategy there. Um, the, so this is all, this, I think this is just such a, um, a fascinating moment to talk about all this because, you know, you can see some companies really execute well, some companies uh, execute very poorly. Um, some people, some companies don't care. Um, and, and some other companies seem to revel in having bad PR. I mean, I, I, I get the feeling, particularly with, with Elon Musk, for instance, I think he, he not only doesn't care, but he wants to cause, he, he wants to kind of create uh, strife. Um, so he, he's, he's very confrontational in approach, which, to be honest, if the, the new Twitter ends up being that kind of company, then it's going to attract the sort of people that are prepared to work or happy to work in that environment. So maybe it's a, it's a giant self-sorting plan. I think, again, people who follow SpaceX, Tesla, those kinds of businesses, I believe they're very similar types of organizations in terms of the, the culture of it. Um, so, you know, this may be his way of just shaking the tree um, and making sure that the, the ones that hang around are the, the people that are, you know, his people, so to speak. But in any case, I think roundly lambasted uh, for many of 
everybody within the brain food community. I don't think there's much sympathy for his approach. Uh, and I think someone did mention in the in the chat there. Uh, Stripe uh, is a company also made redundancies this year. Fourteen percent, um, I think, have been made redundant. But Collison uh, yesterday, mm. yeah, a lot of people. Um, and but the CEO wrote the sort of message that was very well received. It was like, okay, this is tough to do, but you can read not only the generosity of the the severance, uh, but also the generosity of tone. Mm. Um, you know, there was you could read the humanity in 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 the words there. Which didn't appear to be the case um, with with you know the, the lightning rod du jour uh, with, with Elon Musk. Um, uh, so in any case, that's different personalities, different CEOs, and what have you. So perhaps that's also a factor to think about. Who is the CEO of the business? Who is the person that has made that decision, for instance? And what is their level of concern for this type of stuff? Um, because if they don't care, then you know there's there's kind of a limitation as to what you can potentially do about it um let's talk about that in a moment because i want to take just a mini break here as we always do in this show because uh brain food live is a conversation starter it's never going to be a conversation stopper it should never be a bottleneck um but we do have to come off air in about 15 minutes um so if uh but the conversation shouldn't stop just because we have to leave so if you're interested in having this chat and you want to continue it with other people that care about this topic take a moment take your linkedin um url and share it in the chat stream on crowdcast and then make sure you connect with everyone else um who has done likewise Worst case scenario, you're going to end up with half a dozen, a dozen people um, that really care about employer branding. And you could have this conversation anywhere you choose after that. Make sure you walk away with a, a fortified network uh, as the minimum uh, value you get out of, uh, out of this show. Uh, okay, so CEO, how much of a psychologist do we need to be in EB to understand can we use the CEO in this tough scenario? Do we not? Do we decide to get him out of the picture, her, him or her out of the picture if they're not particularly um, good at this? I'm again reminded of the was it the better.com uh, CEO who, who mass fired people on Zoom, um, which I didn't have too much of a problem with. I think you know he's he's trying to be personable, but his 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 video his his video manner was so bad um it just looked like wow he doesn't actually care and it was it was a vanity piece for him um so do we need to assess that do we need to look at the ceo and think you know what that person is a natural asset at delivering the bad news or this person you know what they're gonna just hash this and make it worse we've got to shove that person away what are your thoughts on that go ahead adam if the CEO is not the person who puts their hand up immediately to say, I'm going to be the one who briefs the organization and I'm going to do it with humanity and compassion. Uh, and I'm also going to make sure that the people who remain with the business do not feel like they're with a business that's got problems. If that person can't do that and is and you, you're going to question that, get out of that business. That's the wrong leader and it's therefore going to be a bad exec team and it's going to be a shitty business. Uh, well, that that may be true. It's not very helpful, though. I mean, um, so, so you're you're obviously you're going to resign. Get out, and say that's get out of the business. But you also have a responsibility for, for, for as long as you're in the business to do as best a job as you can. So in, in that scenario, you might need, need to, to usher away the CEO or even preempt the CEO or even kind Help. of like train them. Go, go ahead, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> 
it is it is something that you can like it's not just a fait accompli if if that person isn't stepping up i think it's probably because personality wise that's not their strength or strong point and a lot of ceos and the, the kind of business leaders i know they are people who are able to really command communication but not necessarily in front of a camera. So it's all about finding their channel that works for them. And, you know, even if we look back over the pandemic stuff, there was lots of really great leaders that weren't necessarily very visible, but then suddenly came up and went, actually, you know what, I am going to write a letter. Um, Airbnb boss was there. I mean, might be very different in terms of being present and being visible for his team, but actually you know on camera or having a social profile is just something that they don't do so there is there's always a platform I think it's about working out what is that right platform what is the right cadence and the level at which those communications hit and again it's not something that I would ever recommend someone does in isolation and any boss that goes out there and does it in isolation that's the person you want to get out the door because they are literally not in it for anybody else yeah, that's a really good point. And Adam, I, I get your point, by the way. But the CEO should be the person stepping up. But I, I, I guess the additional point I was making was that sometimes it, the CEO, should, it doesn't have the skills for it. Um, again, you know, remember the crying CEO, for instance? I mean, that guy, he wanted to do it. Like someone should have pulled him up and said, listen, this is not a good idea. Your, your, your manner or at least your approach here is just going to cause people uh, to have a very negative view. So, and, and unfortunately... CEOs, of course, have the most power um, in the business. And, you know, that if they want to do it, they can do it. Um, okay, Paul, your experience on this, and let's say well, it's not about BT. Uh, it's all about your prior experience about, you know, judging uh, the leader of the business. Are they suitable yeah. to be the message carrier? I've worked for a really interesting range of leaders. Um, really, really interesting. I worked in media. I worked for advertising agencies. And now I worked in big business, I've met and worked with a lot of interesting folks. Um, when it comes to delivering bad news, it's very, very, very tricky to find a confident leader who's willing to put their hand up and say, I'll be the guy who'll take the news out because mm -hmm. it's bad. And I want to be the guy who delivers it because then the organization realizes and sees me as an empathetic, sympathetic person. They usually like to distance themselves from bad news and they're more interested in controlling share price sometimes or, or controlling their customer sentiment. You're going to half your workforce. How are you going to still deliver for me? Um, that question is tricky to answer. Uh, so that's usually the area where their focus tends to spread to rather than perhaps dealing with the hearts and minds of some of the people who are currently feeling uh, turmoil, uncertainty in a business. Um, so selecting that leader, selecting the right voice to take that message out is a challenge for most businesses. Also, it shouldn't always directly fall in the lap of HR. You're, you're the HR leader. Why don't you take that news out and we'll stand over here and watch you do that. Uh, I think when you're talking to people, I think you really need to be true and authentic and honest about exactly where the organization is. I personally, in my career, have been made redundant twice. Um, and you know, the first time I probably took it as a personal slide, I questioned whether I was the right person to be kept or, or, or let go. Uh, 
the second time around, as I matured and grew up, I kind of realized that, you know, it's a ship uh, with 500 people on. And if 250 people don't leave the ship, all 500 go down. You know, so you have a responsibility as well uh, if you work in an organization to accept the fact that sometimes the organization needs to change uh, to allow it to survive because it is an organism within its own right and you are feeding into that. But ultimately, the the leadership and the sentiment, the, the, the conversation and the messaging around managing uh, decline, managing a business in that recession piece, I don't think should be uh, purely owned by the one leader. I think it should be owned by the leader who you probably have the most trust in in your area of work. Mm. And you're more likely to believe. Otherwise, everybody will have PR folks writing mm. uh, crisis management notes for them, which they will read out and go, aren't we all in really bad trouble? By the way, I'm just about to go and climb in my helicopter and fly off to the ski slopes, but you guys digest that bit of information. I think if it comes from a leader you trust and you worked for and you have real sharing empathy with, I think you will take the message on board a lot more um, accurately and probably believe the message a lot more rather than just have the PR machine of a business turn internal. I think that's really interesting as well. And if you look at, like Lee's just put in the notes saying that Musk has just announced that you'll get an email if you've been let go from Twitter. But the total dichotomy of what you've just said there, Paul, is you've got someone who really doesn't care about the optics, but is doing probably what, without the emotion, is what we're talking about here. He's saving his ship, but at the same time is doing it in a way where actually right now for us, because of what we've just been through, maybe even is heightened because of what we've just been through. The relationship between employer and employee has now got so more emotive. We're so much more compassionate as leaders. We're so much more in tune with feeling state as opposed to get the job done just get shit done all of that mentality that was you know kind of previous years and I wonder whether or not as well we're just feeling this a lot more in terms of you know the the stark difference between Musk's reality at Twitter and and the employees mm -hmm. there versus oh. our businesses right now and we're heading into session. Yeah, so, sorry to interrupt. The one thing is I think we're getting distracted by Elon Musk in this space. I think Elon Musk does not need that organization or that business to survive or die. It does not impact his life or the life of yeah. 400 generations of Musks after him. So it's absolutely, it's a red herring. The way he behaves is more to court interest and notoriety than it is to actually deal with the, the, the cash flows of Twitter or, or a business like that. I think if you take him out of the conversation around how an organization is letting people go, I think it's better to for us to focus on other organizations where people have an investment in the outcome and, or, or, and the success of that business. I don't think Elon Musk bought Twitter because he needed to make it the biggest you know, communications platform. It's just because he does not want to get left out of the conversation. And by owning a media platform, he's center of it. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting as well. And it it is going to be 
I think the one thing that we're constantly gonna see, but you're right. Like, but then where's the smoke and mirrors kind of really gonna be pointed? I mean, there's so many, you know, sort of propaganda stories that we can see and say over at so many different organizations, public and private. Um, yeah, it's gonna be one to watch for sure. But it doesn't make your job. I do think we have to be, I do think we have to be realistic though. At the end of the day, it all comes back to why all of the different functions have to sit at the table because employment is a relationship, right? The way that we see some of these leaders like the crying CEO or Elon Musk, they're treating it like a transaction, right? And so they don't care. That's fine. Lay people off. Elon Musk doesn't care that, you know, people are going to have a poor brand perception of the employment experience. He doesn't care about that because he will be able to recruit people who find his projects interesting that want to work on them and say that they did. It all comes back to the kind of employment relationship you want to create. And at if, when you get, when you go through an activity like this, that I've had the fortune and misfortune to, to go through on all sides of the table, you, that's why you need everybody. You need someone to represent the employee and say, hey, we have to have empathy. We have to consider how this is going to be received. But you also need legal there too. Sometimes you can't empower your managers to deliver the message because there are legal implications to not everyone receiving the message at the same time. You've got to shut off access to content. I'm not saying advocating for you know one way being right or wrong, but in large organizations, these activities are so complex. Mm. The best thing to do is have every interest represented at the table and ultimately remember that there's a human being at the center of all of this our work puts a roof over our head it puts food on our table and so if you can have that as core to whatever strategy you choose regardless of the laws around you i think that's what we all need to do as human beings i wonder well, then if i can ask a question has the has the pandemic empowered employer brand to be more emotive and to be more empathetic and to be then more important in terms of employee engagement and growth? Love that question. I would say from where I sit, 100%. We did, um, I'll pop a link in the chat. We've spent the past several years doing a lot of research around the employment relationship. And what's happened is this shift from employment as a transaction. I, you know, I went to Starbucks this morning, I got my coffee. Um, I take oat milk in my coffee. If they don't have oat milk anymore, I'm going to say, thanks, Starbucks. Tell the barista you've been lovely. And I'm going to go down the street to a coffee shop that has it. That's a transaction. I have a need. They're benefiting my need. Employment's not a transactional relationship. It's a communal one. It's where you have to have a series of what we call in social psychology. You have to have a series of common goals that you're trying to reach together. And the difference with a communal relationship is that you see someone has a need and you meet their need regardless of whether you get a benefit to that need. And the social justice movement and COVID the past several years have just increased the belief and the subscription that employment is a communal relationship. And that's why you're seeing it be more emotive because people realize it's not a transaction. I think there's some leaders like Musk that are still treating it like a transaction. And you know, the um, I shared a link that's got a little bit more of that research and insight into it, but it all depends on how you feel about it. And I think employees are reacting to that in general. And that's why we're seeing that shift. Well, um, coming to the end of the show, folks, I want to end with kind of a, a, a kind of a controversial point, um, but it's kind of uh, backing up what both Claire and Susan have said. 
is it possible that our relationships with um, uh, our work has become perverse in a way, uh, in a sense that it's become too emotive? So yes, we agree it's communal, but it should be more transactional because it fundamentally is about revenue. We're, we're in a capitalist society. Uh, you know, if you're not making profit for the company, you're making a loss. Um, and in that circumstance, should we all not be more realistic about our relationships with it um, and therefore not in, sort of invest so much emotional energy in both ways, um, in which case we might be able to slide in and out of different organizations a little bit more flexibly. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. Maybe that's a conversation for another time. I don't think it's a dystopic one because I think we see it already where people are doing multiple jobs with multiple employers with the portfolio careers. Who here doesn't have a side hustle? We're all doing stuff, which tells us that actually we're pulling away a little bit from this like super intimate relationship with an employer. So perhaps that is the future. No defense of Elon Musk, but I just wonder whether he might be just saying, yeah, this is how it's going to be. Just, just stir it even further moving forward. Who knows? Anyway, listen, we have to say goodbye to everyone. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for our guest. First of all, Paul Bangu, great to see you. Um, we'll definitely get you back on. Uh, Susan, uh, Lamotte, great to see you again. Wonderful uh, to get your contribution. Um, Adam, thanks for your, all your efforts in coming back on and all the rest of it. We've discovered uh, sort of IT support 101, which is always progress. Um, and Claire Bush, great to see you. Uh, wonderful to have you on the show. We'll definitely, we, I need to talk to you anyway, uh, but I'll ping you after this show. So, um, all right, folks, um, hope, hope you've enjoyed it. By the way, Brain Food Bake Fresh not happening on, on Monday. Adam, we have a new way of doing it because it turns out that Substack has a chat option. Um, so I think we're going to try and do it on Substack if that's possible. I don't even know how that works, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out this weekend. I'll pump it out by the email and then people can kind of figure it out from there. All right. We're back next week. We're talking Boolean searching. Is it broken? Uh, we have Irina Shamaiva, the one and only, in fact, she's the only person I know that's able to write a blog on why Google search is broken and have Google search team actually comment on the blog and say, yeah, I think it's broken. You're right. Um, and so she is going to actually do a presentation for us on this. It's going to be amazing. We're going to figure out what the next generation of sourcing is going to be like. Uh, so make sure you follow the channel and register for that show. Okay, folks, that's it. Have a good weekend.